There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James, thanks for joining us on today's episode of My Millennial Story. I'm joined by Jess Ritchie, who is one of the content producers and the content producer at the popular podcast, She's on the Money. Jess, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, we're going to get down, we're going to find out all about you, your story, you know, what makes you tick, what makes you untick and all that stuff. So, <laughs> are you ready to have a chat with everyone? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. So, I would like to know who is Jess Ritchie? And don't tell me your job because <laughs> we know your job. How would you describe Jess Ritchie? It's so hard because I feel like my job is such a big part of my identity. Um, I am, I guess, a creative, you could say, by nature. I've freelanced in the creative space for as long as I can remember, which is kind of how I ended up where I am. I feel like I'm always doing things around the house. My poor partner, it is very common for him to come home to the whole house torn apart, some project on the dining table. He's a very patient man. Um, But... Yeah, cat mum, photographer, not really even photographer. I don't know. I'm just a normal gal. You're just a, you're just a gal. Just an everyday gal. <laughs> now, okay, where did you grow up? Um, so, I grew up in the suburbs west of Melbourne, about an hour outside of town. Right. And did you come from any, I don't know, were you extremely wealthy? Was there extreme poverty? What were you, immigrant parents, anything like that? No, I think, like, we were pretty, like, standard. I think technically we would be middle class. We were a single-income family. Um, my mum was a stay-at-home mum. Her and my dad met at work and they made the decision that she would be a stay-at-home parent when I was born. So, um, that meant that we lived just off my dad's wage. And he's a public servant, so he earned okay money but not great money. Um, And it's really hard because, I mean, at the start there was three of us. And then when I was six or seven, my younger brother was born. Um, So, four people living off one wage, money was always a stressor in my family. And I say that, but we were incredibly fortunate. I was super privileged in that we always had a roof and food and my parents sacrificed a lot to make sure that we didn't miss out on the big things. I always got to go on school camp and excursions. So, I feel like it's unfair for me to say, oh, like we, money was tight, but it it was a real stressor on my mum, particularly because she was the one who looked after the finances in our house. And that's, I guess, my clearest memory of money from growing up. Do you find in your current life any habits or behaviours that you do with your own money 
uh, from your parents or the opposite of your parents? Not so much now. I think when I was younger, it was definitely apparent. I got a job as soon as I could. I was 14 and nine months because like I said, we didn't, we gave up a lot of luxuries, I guess. We always had what we needed, but we never went to the cinema or never got takeout for dinner, didn't go shopping for new clothes really. And that taught me a lot of skills in terms of frugality. And, you know, I grew up up shopping with my mum and, you know, those are great skills to have. But when I was old enough to be earning money, I was a kid, like I wanted those things. I wanted new clothes. I wanted to go shopping with my friends. And as much as my parents said, save half of your paycheck, like put it away, you're going to want that money. I didn't listen and I just went crazy. And I spent like every dollar that I had, not that it was a lot because I was working in a bookstore two days a week. Like I wasn't exactly bawling, but I definitely indulged and that carried through probably until my late teens, very early twenties. And then I kind of realized the value of money a little bit more. I moved out of home. I was paying for my own shit and I was like, oh, this is a bit of a rude awakening. When you left school, did you complete like year 12? Did you leave early? What did you do uh, when you left school? Uh, So I did finish year 12 and then I did a year long course at VCA, which is like a theatre company here in Melbourne. Um, I had initially hoped that I would do a three year course and then... I did the one year as like a gateway to see if I liked it and I ended up just working full time. So I don't have like a three-year degree or anything. Um, And I guess my career path is a little bit unique in the sense that I carved that way for myself rather than taking on a grad position or something like that. Would you call yourself a spender or a saver? We know you were a spender when you were just getting your first job or two. Yeah. Is it a cop-out if I put myself in the middle? Like, I am really good at saving towards my goals. Uh, So, like, right now I'm saving for a house. I have a set amount that goes into an account every month that does not come out. And I'm really strict at enforcing that. And that's not a problem. But I allow myself, I guess, money to play with. And I am a little more flexible with those funds. And I do spend on dumb things sometimes. Yeah, I think... (sighs) Just, you know, after asking a lot of people this question over the years, I reckon there probably could be 5 or 10% of people who don't land on either camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do know with a lot of spenders, they can be really good, but they need a goal to link Yeah. That I think activity that probably with. is me. I think if there's not a clear thing, I it's mm. probably easier for me to be like, oh, like make it rain. But <laughs> yeah, because I I don't know, like from your experience, like with they talking to everyone that's been on she's on the money and all that stuff. Like the savers out there, you guys save money for the sport of it. Like <laughs> it's like <laughs> so satisfying watching that number go up. Yeah, but us spenders out there, what up? Like we need a serious goal to work toward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there you have it. You're creative at heart. Now, I saw that you've got a YouTube channel. I do. (laughs) Yeah. Is that a bit of a side hustle? It was. To be honest, it's really lapsed with everything that's been going on over the last, like, year or so for me. It definitely has been and it's opened a lot of doors for me. And it brings in a nice little tiny, I guess, income on the side, which is great. 
Um, my following is definitely not big enough to be making like enough to live off of, but I uploaded so many videos when I was younger and it started when I was at school and I took that course because we had to do self-taping and I was like, oh, I want to learn how to do that. And at the time, Glenn, I don't know if this is going to resonate with you, but it was the time of the YouTube beauty guru. Like it, it was such a time, uh, anyone out there who remembers like, all that glitters 21, all those people. So it was these girls that I was like looking up to and super into. Um, and that's kind of how I got started. I loved doing like little DIY videos and things. Looking back on those videos, they're all private now. They were so cringy and awful. <laughs> but I mean, like you've got 44-ish thousand followers on your channel. Like if you did put energy back into that like serious energy you could turn that up right if you wanted to I think so it's a pretty unreliable platform in terms of revenue it's really hit or miss I think potentially I could but you have to really dedicate yourself to being consistent whereas at the Mm. moment it's just a creative outlet there's no pressure there for me to be uploading multiple times a week or you know you have to take advantage of the algorithm and do all of these things like you do on all of these social platforms now so It's just there for me to be able to share projects that I love. I mean, maybe at some point I'll turn my attention back there more Mm. seriously. But right now, my career is just keeping me so occupied that I can't dedicate that. So, before you went full-time at She's On The Money, what type of creative freelancing were you doing? Um, So, creating content for brands. So, mostly photo, occasionally video, um, editing, stuff like that. I've been really lucky to work with some awesome brands, uh, some really well-known ones, and like it opened a lot of doors for me and gave me, I guess, that experience that led to my current role. Mm. And what was it that made you change to move from this freelance, you know, got to wake up every morning without a job and find work type vibe into a full-time, because I'm assuming you are full-time with She's On The Money team. Mm -hmm. So, what was the thing that ticked over in your mind to say, yeah, I just want to get a full-time job and go hard uh, with the stuff that Victoria is creating? Well, I've actually always freelanced in addition to working full-time. So, it's actually always been something that I've done on the side. Um, Like growing up, I kind of worked through like retail. I went from working my little retail job to like assistant manager to store manager. And then from there, I got my first like big girl job. I worked in real estate and I kind of just kept stepping and stepping and stepping into the next role that made sense, stepping up in terms of salary, stepping up in terms of responsibility and learning a whole bunch of new skills. And then when this role popped up, it was really the perfect culmination of my professional experience combined with what I had been doing by myself freelancing for so long. And what are you doing day to day in your current role at She's on the Money? (laughs) What aren't I doing? Yes, yes. Um, I look after all of our, obviously, content across the three brands. We outsource a very small portion of that and obviously I liaise with our creators. Um, But all of our in-house production, I look after from concept to creation. Um, I also handle all of our partnerships. So, all of the brands that we work with, from vetting them, making sure it's a good fit, handling that account, producing whatever's in line with that campaign, checking. It's a lot of back and forth on email. I spend all my time on emails. (laughs) It's funny, the whole influencer world and brands, like, Mm -hmm. it's a big job, isn't it? It It's huge. It's 
one of those things where I completely understand how easy it is for somebody to look at like these big, huge influencers and say, they don't do any work. Like they just take a photo. And I mean, there's definitely varying levels of buy-in from these influencers. And there are some people who put no effort in, but the, the realm of creativity and all of the stuff that goes into that on the back end, I think people sometimes just don't realise how much work it can be, especially mm. when you're looking after like a big brand or, you know, like you, Glenn, you're putting out podcasts daily and there's all of these supporting pieces of content that are flying around. It's a huge job. And I think people sometimes are just quick to go, oh, it looks so easy. I could do that. But it's not as simple as it sounds. Yeah, it certainly is a big job. Now, you know, if we rewind to when you were 16, 17, 18, mm -hmm. like, what did you want to do when you grew up? I wanted to be an actor, which right. is why I went to VCA, why I did that course. I was really lucky. My parents were super supportive. I was in the advanced placement program at school, the smart class, um, and it was really hard because... I was in that class because of zoning. It was the only way I was going to get into that school was qualifying. And I've always been really lucky. I test well. Um, but it meant that I was surrounded by people who were becoming doctors and lawyers and little old me's like, I want to be an actor, <laughs> which did not sit well with the faculty at all. But my parents were always really supportive. And I think that that... I guess, passion. I was in the theatre club in high school, kind of really played into what I do now that, again, that creativity, I'm really comfortable talking publicly. I think like at the time I didn't realise it, but I was building skills that I use daily now. Yeah, I've I've had a similar journey with stuff that I was doing, you know, late teens, early 20s. What thinking were you doing in your way teens? Well, I left school when I was 16. Yeah. And before I didn't finish year 12 mm -hmm. um, and I was the youngest in my year and yeah, school wasn't for me because I'm the type of learner where it's like, I need the practical examples. Don't just give me all this information and then get me to regurgitate it. It doesn't show test. anything, does it? Yeah. So, it's just not my style yeah. and, but all the stuff I was doing in my teens, like I was good at three things at school in year 11, that was business studies, photography and IT. Mm -hmm. And I'm basically running a business at the moment that's a media business and <laughs> it's pretty tech heavy. So You're using um, all of those things. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of doing my passion as a child, um, which is fun. That's awesome. It just goes to show though, I bet when you left school, if it's anything like my school, there were definitely people who said, oh my God, you're dropping out. You're going to become a nobody. You're going to be working in a menial job, blah, 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 blah. There's this misconception that to do well in life, you have to have a degree. But I would like to say that you, and hopefully me as well, are kind of proof that that's not the case. You can carve your own path and follow those things that you care about. And if you work hard enough, you know, you can really turn that into something. Yeah, I still struggle with the guilt. Um, even telling people that I left school at age 16 and didn't do my HSC or go to uni, mm -hmm. there is still this societal shame that I have. And Yeah, for sure. It's just, I don't know, I've just got to go, well... I'm here now and I'll add value what I'm doing. So, but it was funny when I went into financial planning because it was an absolute passion of mine, I really excelled Yeah. and the penny dropped. And I'm actually really crap at maths. Like you could say to me right now, Glenn, what's five plus seven plus five plus <laughs> six? 
that whole thinking fast, thinking slow, mm-hmm. I would just freeze. I just couldn't like, so it's more financial planning is about project management, taking someone from here to there. Yeah. But anyway, this isn't about me. What does your um, partner do? Um, so he's actually still completing his studies. He's studying to be a physiotherapist next year right. will be his final year of study, which is very exciting. Um, so he just works casually at the moment as a lifeguard. Yeah, awesome. And what? Do, how old are you guys? Uh, so we're both 27. Yeah, sweet. And did he go into physio a bit later? Yeah, so before we met, he started and didn't finish two or three different courses, just kind of, I guess, finding his path. He went to uni straight out of school and, like so many people, started something and realised it absolutely wasn't for him. So when we met, he had actually taken a gap year between leaving his last degree Um, and he had decided he wanted to be a physiotherapist. He didn't qualify for the course at the time, so he took exercise science as a gateway course um, and did two years of that degree and then was able to transfer some of those credits over to complete physiotherapy, which he's now doing. And how long have you guys been together? Uh, Almost six years. Wow, okay. So you've you've kind of, you know, early 20s, you've kind of grown together in some very influential years, right? Absolutely. Um, He was also my first, I don't know how important this is or if anybody cares, but he's my first serious relationship as well. So it's been like a real, not learning, but just like a Mm. real journey, like you said, of growing up together in a way. How have you grown together? Like, and this isn't a relationship podcast, but whatever, we're here now. (laughs) Like, how have you grown together through, you know, because when I was 24 and 23, I feel like I had no idea. And I mean, I probably still don't now. But like, we, when we're younger, we don't have no idea. I wonder, is it like the ignorance or the naivety, if that's a word? Um, because surely there's been times where you guys have had to work stuff out together. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, like given that we got together when we were quite young and it was my first time being in a long-term relationship was communicating. I am mm. a super emotional person, uh, as creatives tend to be, but I'm not always good at articulating what I'm feeling and I really had to learn because my partner and I have very different personality types. We're like polar opposites. Um, I had to learn to articulate things because it's not fair to be like, I'm really mad at you and if you don't know why, I'm going to be pissed off. Like, it just doesn't work and it's not healthy for anybody because you just stew on those emotions. So, communication was a big one. Um, I'm like an almost an oversharer a lot of the time. So, aligning our goals and kind of being like, okay, well, this is what I want and this is what you want. Where does that meet up? Do we need to compromise? Facilitating those conversations because I can avoid things if they make me uncomfortable. I don't like making myself feel that way. So I think kind of learning to be more direct, both for his sake and for mine, was one of the biggest changes that I had to make. And it's something I still have to work on. Sometimes I have to remind myself to be up front because it's just going to make everyone's life easier, right? So, with that, like, you said you're saving for a home and you're about to get a home. Uh, will that be your first home together? Uh, no, it'll be just me because James is still studying. He doesn't have full-time employment. It was right. going to be... Our plan was originally to purchase together after he graduated and then I was very fortunate to be in the position where 
I've saved a big enough deposit and I am earning enough between like my full-time job and my freelance work that I can service alone by myself. Um, and with the market being the way that it is and property being my biggest personal goal, it just made sense for me to jump in and do it. And okay, so the property, will you both be living in it or is it a rental property? Uh, no, we'll both be living in it. Um, the plan at the moment is that I will be the sole owner and we'll most likely put a BFA in place, like once it all kind of gets sorted. Um, I'll be responsible for the costs and he will pay rent. Right. Which I know is a bit of an unusual situation, potentially. Yeah, let's go there because I did an Instagram the other day mm-hmm. and someone was like, oh, what's your opinion on partners and sharing money? Yeah. And I really don't have... A, a solid opinion based on experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just put my flag on the hill so everyone knows where I'm coming from. I've got the view if I was going to um, move in with someone and have a long-term partnership and do all that stuff, I would want to share for streamline. Sure, you can have your own weekly blow account or whatever mm-hmm. and um, because we're sharing each other's life, we're sharing each other's bodily fluids, we're sharing <laughs> all our hopes and dreams. Yeah. So why not money? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just for me, I can't compute that. Yeah. Um, and I know that's polarizing, uh, but also if you're listening, do what you want, don't actually care. Um, so would I say at the moment you guys aren't sharing your money? Pretty much. And I'm similar to you in the sense of that I think if it works for you, it works as long as everyone's happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, we split finances. So obviously right now he's studying and working casually. So I'm the higher income earner by quite a bit in our partnership. Mm. Um, we've been living together for two years now. We rent together. Um, so, like, I mean, technically we're de facto. And yeah. we split all of our, like, living expenses, you know, bills and groceries and things like that. But we operate our finances completely independently. I think my partner's quite similar to you in the sense that he's kind of like, well, if we're going to get married, our money's our money. Like, it doesn't really matter if it comes from me or if it comes from you, which I completely get. Um, But to be honest, I'm really sceptical. Not sceptical, but I have just heard so many horror stories, I think, over the years that I don't think that I will ever completely share my finances and I know that some people are going to be like oh my god what like that doesn't make any sense but even in my role now like you just hear from so many people that have found themselves in position particularly women where one day things have gone sideways and they just have nothing they can't get out they can't look after themselves because they've become dependent or invested financially in a way that they don't have access to their money anymore do you think that's changing, uh, particularly with the stuff that she's on the money's doing and the whole empowerment thing? Like- oh, absolutely. And like that is one of the big things that we hope is that people are empowered to put themselves in a position where that's not the case. Um, for me, with the house, for example, I'm in the position to purchase right now. And my hope is that we get married and have kids and are together for the rest of our lives. But if something was to go wrong... I want that to be as clean as possible. And that's why I kind of think that the situation that I was just talking about is the way that I want to do it. Um, Interesting anecdote, actually, that might make this seem a bit less weird. His brother, when he met his girlfriend, who is now his wife, that was very complicated. I'm very sorry for anyone listening. Um, But she owned property when his brother moved in with her. And so 
we kind of saw this situation modelled where his brother just paid her rent, she's the owner, it's her property, they have since purchased another property together and that first property is an investment. And that's kind of the path that I see us taking this home that I'm purchasing now. I'm not very... I don't have that much money. So it's going to be a house for now, not forever. And so my hope is that, you know, we'll keep it as an investment property and purchase a family home together down the track. Right. Okay. So it's not going to be completely separate because the only reason, like I've talked to lawyers about, um, you mentioned the BFA, the Mm. binding financial agreement slash quote unquote prenup, Mm. like technically, wouldn't you want to get that before you buy your house? Because- I mean, you know, you're in a de facto relationship now. Yeah. If it went to court, you're the higher income earner. He is dependent on you, maybe, for to pay some of the yeah, rent. To be honest, right now, like I do have my house deposit, and I mean, I absolutely don't think that he would ever, in a million years, be the type of person to invoke any of those rules or to try and take something that wasn't his. Like, I do not believe that at all. The only reason that I want to put it in place is because. You always hear stories about things happening to people and they go, I never saw it coming. I never expected it. And I'd rather have that uncomfortable conversation now to protect myself on the slimmest 0.1% chance that something does go wrong that I didn't expect. But right now, my assets aren't that significant. You know, when I have a house, like that's going to be over half a million dollars. Whereas right now... It just didn't seem worth it to me, which might be silly because, I mean, I still have, like, my super and my deposit and whatever, but it just wasn't enough for me to be like, I feel like I need to do that, whereas the house is so big that that's the kind of push for me. Yeah, it's so – I just find it fascinating. Um, And I guess, again, loud and clear, everyone, I really don't care what anyone else does with their money, um, Mm. Jess included – because we've all just got views from our own experiences and seeing things in the around the world that we live in, right? Um, but the risks, you know, I was listening to somebody the other day and they reckon one of the biggest risks in life is who you partner with. Um, For sure, because that shapes you, right? Yeah, but like you're making a decision now-ish that, you know, could blow up for either of you in mm-hmm. five years time. Like what if one of you in five years time, um, you know, did have that breakdown situation and, you know, I had a client once, this is so crazy. She was the one who managed all the household money for the guy and he was a hard worker and all that. And he was just that bury his head in the sand, go to work. She manages it all. She actually got an addiction to gambling and the poker machines And he came to see me and he's like, yeah, you know, I need to rebuild somehow. She's taken and gambled $400,000 from our mortgage offset account. And I'm just, so I had to kind of teach him how to manage money. So I think, yeah, you're right. Like no matter the age, the gender, the status, we all just have to have a healthy level of skepticism and only do things to our own comfort level. What I have said is in in the book that I wrote, like if you're in a relationship and you like the idea of like, yeah, it makes sense to, to join it all in anyway and I don't want to worry about the two things, I made the um, comment that someone told me about to have an emergency fund in each person's name, like yeah. completely separate as the escape or whatever funds. But anyway, we can move on. It's not really about relationships and money as much as, it is, but um, 
So the goals, do you guys have any joint goals that you will be working towards after, um, you know, he finishes his training? I think the it'll be the family home, which will obviously be a much higher cost than the home that I'll be purchasing now. Right now, I kind of just think that we're renting. I would rather be paying off my own property. And so I just want to get that foot in the door. But I think we'll continue to work towards that goal, which we initially had, which is purchasing a home together. We also both want to build up our investments. You know, I have a small portfolio currently. He does not invest yet. Um, but it's something that is important to both of us is just ensuring that we're looked after. Yeah. Do you find, and again, just as questions pop into my mind, like your friends and your circle of friends, the people who have, um, you know, shacked up together, have they had similar views around money and sharing and not sharing? I don't think so. And I hope that people don't listen to this and go, oh my God, she's horrible. Like she doesn't want to share money. Like that's not what it's about. Um, But for the most part, our friends share money completely, Mm. um, which makes me feel a little bit more unusual in the way that I do things. But I mean, at the end of the day, that's just what makes me comfortable. And I'm really lucky that I have a partner who completely understands that. And he's very supportive and would never want me to be in a position where I wasn't. In the future, potentially, we will share things more. And I think Mm. when we do get to there, it will be like you said, we will both have money that operates separate from each other. I don't want us to ever feel like we have to answer to each other about our spending habits or whatever. We're both grown adults who should be able to live their lives the way that they want to, as long as that's obviously not compromising any big shared goals. Um, But no, as far as I'm aware, all of our friends are pretty like all in. What's yours is mine. What's mine is yours. But mm. they are also all a little bit older than us and have property or kids or like something that really t- not ties them together. But yeah, like it just makes sense for them to do it that way. Yeah, it's. I just think it's it's a fascinating thing, and this is why we do these episodes mm. to actually hear people's stories and. Yeah. I remember growing up, going to um, a different family's home for dinner and it's like, what? There's no drinks at the table. Where's my freaking Coke Zero? Or where's my like water? Oh no, we do drinks after dinner. I'm like, really? What? People are weird or like something That's weird like weird. that. <laughs> but it's but it's almost the same thing as like how yeah. you do things with you and your partner in your household. That's how you do things and that's what you're comfortable with. So everyone shut up. Well, yeah. Yeah. Please don't come for me. It's my underlying thought. I'm just living my life, doing my best. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I, I think it's great, and yeah, I'm I'm just chatting. Then the only reason it's topical with me because I someone asked me the question, yeah, uh, whether they should or shouldn't do it, uh, sharing money with partners, and it's what makes I, you comfortable. I would say do what you want. Yeah, do Agreed. what works. Communicate. Mm-hmm. That's the big one. If you are sharing, have a system. Speak to a lawyer before you buy assets. Just, and particularly if it's a second marriage, it does get a little bit more complicated because you've got the estate planning thing, particularly if there's kids Mm -hmm. um, and there's a second marriage. Do you want me to give you a brief example? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, picture this and I'll just use you as an example so it makes Mm -hmm. it really easy. I'll, I'll use the example that your mother was divorced Mm -hmm. and she remarried a man, right? And you're now a stepdaughter of, we'll just call him David, right? On your Dave. 
Anja Dave, what up? And this is a, a story that I've seen actually happen in real life. Okay. All right? Yeah. This is why it's hyper important that if you're doing second marriages and kids involved, you need to sort this crap out. Mm-hmm. It's all well. Your mum has her own money, right, that she's earned. Um, her and David buy a house and you're like 17 years old, whatever. You're still living there and all that. Uh, it's their house, uh, your mum and your stepdad. Your mum dies prematurely, mm. unexpected, right? Yeah. And this is how real it gets, everyone. So, now, because the estate planning wasn't set up correctly, David now inherited the house mm-hmm. and you don't get any of your mum's wealth. A few years later, David remarries. You still see David around, you know, he was a bit of a part of your life. But depending on how they've set it up, David's kids or David's new stepchildren may receive a portion of your mum's wealth Mm -hmm. because it wasn't dealt with. Because it's up to David. Like if I'm assuming when David passes away, it's dependent on his will, right? Yes. But, you know, if you're going in, if your mum was going into a second marriage and she bought a house with David, her, you know, your new stepdad, mm-hmm. you'd want to make sure the house was set up as maybe tenants in common. So, her portion of the house goes back to her will and then her will can give the money out to you. Yeah. See, it's crazy stuff like this. This is, that is such a good example of why I am so, I'm like, no, I want things to be really clear cut as much mm. as possible with minimal crossover so that everyone is looked after. Because... It's too late when it's too late. Exactly right. And I don't want to find myself in five years and goodness knows, touch wood, nothing happens, but something weird goes wrong and I'm in a position where I'm like, oh, if only I had done things differently. Mm. I had a story, a friend of mine, uh, he's got kids and him and his wife, uh, they separated and divorced. Kids are in primary school. Mm. They're both pretty successful uh, Mm -hmm. individuals. And he was telling me the other day, he was like, yeah, I was talking with her and, you know, based on my income, I would owe her X amount of child support because she's got, you know, the majority of the custody and it's all pretty amicable now. And she said to me, I don't want your money. Like, just keep it, whatever. We'll have a joint account for the kids. You know, we'll split school costs or whatever. But she said, I don't want to be going on holidays with your money and all that stuff. So, I think it was just refreshing to hear that there can be amicable situations. (laughs) And that's what you would hope is that if things were to go sideways, that you love and care about each other enough to just want things to be fair and equitable. For the kids. Absolutely. Mm. But you just, you never know. You don't know what you don't know and you can't predict it. And just so many things go wrong that, yeah, a piece of me is just always hyper-vigilant and, like, wanting to think about the worst possible scenario to make sure that I'm prepared. Totally. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're back. You're with Glenn James and Jessica Ritchie from the crew at She's on the Money. Now, Jess, you've heard a heap of money stuff throughout your role Mm -hmm. with She's on the Money. Are there any specific kind of money lessons or themes or threads that you see across a whole heap of different uh, people or topics that um, you've heard that leads to success that you've gone, oh, there's a common theme here? I don't know if there's a common theme. I think it's more so people recognising that they have the power to put themselves in a better position. And I I know that I should put the caveat on that, that that's coming from a very privileged perspective. But we have heard stories from people from all walks of life, people who have grown up 10,000 metres below the poverty line, people who have been raised by, you know, abusive parents, people who have suffered trauma throughout their adult life. And it just never ceases to amaze me what people can do for themselves, whether that is first seeking help that they need if you're struggling with addiction or mental illness or any of those things, getting yourself the help that you need so you can start off with a good base level, Um, going after a job that you want, asking for a salary increase, starting a side hustle, just the tenacity that people have to change their lives. But I think you have to want it. You can't sit around and go, I'd really like to have a $100,000 share portfolio. You've got to go, okay, great. What do I need to do to get there? Do I need to increase my income? Do I need to decrease my spending? Um, And I think like that's something that I've tried to apply to myself and be like, okay, great. If you want something, what do you have to do to get there? Because you're not owed anything. It's up to you to go out and get what you want. And like I said, I know that there are definitely people, it's not a one size fits all rule. And there are definitely situations where that might not be applicable. I don't want to be like, girl power, woo. But you know, people can really do incredible things and hearing the stories from our community, the ability to overcome the adverse is just insurmountable. And so if you try, if you try and try, and if you fail, try again, you can get to where you want to be. Do you think you're at the stage where you're living in a good sync and rhythm with your life? I think I could do better with balance. I think Mm. right now I'm really work heavy um, and I'm still, I'm like young-ish. I'm still figuring it out, but I think I'm, I have a 
good enough sense of being prepared to do the hard work to get to where I want to be. Um, sometimes maybe I go a little hard, but you know, right now I don't have dependents. I live my own life and I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do that. If Victoria's listening, she can block her ears, but <laughs> you know, how, what, if you fast forward five years, what would the life of Jess Ritchie hopefully look like? Five years, I'll be, what, 32. So I would hopefully have at least one kid by then. I hope that my partner and I are living in our dream house um, and that I am doing work that keeps me fulfilled. A personal goal of mine is to move to a four-day work week at some point. It's really popular in Scandinavia. It's been shown to increase productivity hugely. Um, and there was a period of time where I was working part-time four days a week with a three-day weekend and the sense of balance that I felt Mm. mind-blowing, like it actually crazy how much better I felt, even though I was working longer days. So I was still doing about a 38, 40 hour work week, but compressing it into those four days, especially for me, because I work longer days now anyway. Not that I'm being forced to overwork, but just because we're really busy and I'm one of those people, I tend to just work till it's done. Um, So I would love to think that I'm in a role where I have that greater sense of balance, especially if we do have a family, because growing up with a stay-at-home mum was a real privilege and I want to make sure that I'm around my kids to some level, even if it's not full-time. I'm very interested and intrigued with this whole idea of that four-day work week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing we're doing in our team this year is really looking at the vision and mission and values. um, I love that. And about what we want um, our business to look like. Mm -hmm. And because I think as a society, well, particularly for me as an employer, and I, I believe, you know, she's on the money would be the same. It's got to be more about we're just getting the job done as opposed to eight hours at a seat every day. A thousand percent. I feel like the pandemic really put that into perspective for a lot of people. And that's why you're seeing such a big shift in flexible working now, because happy employees do better work. And if you're expecting them to sit in that desk chair for eight hours a day, they'll fill the time, but they won't necessarily be working at peak productivity. So wouldn't you rather have them be flexible, have them be happy as long as the work's getting done. What does it matter? Yeah, it's it's just a, it's a mind shift. And I hate that word because it's so corporate, but like it is actually a, a mind shift that maybe I need to look at this year and see if, you know, we can really do something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do little things like in our team, I don't know if what you guys do, like I, I've said it now, if your birthday falls on a weekday, you can have a day off. Oh, I love uh, that. If it, if it falls on a weekend sucked in, you'll have to wait two years. <laughs> <laughs> so, Too bad, so sad. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. It's just how do we do things yeah, differently? So, speaking of differently, do you do anything uh, in terms of charitable giving with your money, with your time, with your thoughts, with, mm-hmm. yeah, where are you at on that? I... Don't donate money. I donate time. So at the moment, I'm, like I said, like 
pedal to the metal working towards that, you know, big savings goal, I'm allocating all of my spare funds towards that. And I guess with COVID, it took a little bit of a hit, but I try and get to a shelter a couple times a year or, you know, an animal clinic or something like that to make sure that I'm able to give something back. Yes, it's my time and not my money, but I do believe that there's definitely a value there. Um, And it also, on a selfish level, is really great for perspective because, it's so easy to become wrapped up in your problems and your day-to-day and it's not the purpose of doing this but being with people living a vastly different lifestyle to you really kind of puts me in my place sometimes and I need it you know that that kind of your life is not that bad and you should be doing more to help others it's important I think yeah absolutely um I couldn't agree more now if we ended with saying, you know, is there something that you think is important that you would like to talk about or say before we end this episode? It's going to sound really corny, but I think just reevaluate things constantly and don't be afraid to do things differently because you can achieve the things that you want to achieve if you're willing to work for them and just believe in the power that you have as a person. I know it can be really hard and really scary. But I promise you, you can do those hard things. Love it. That's so lame. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. Thank you so much, Jess Ritchie. She can be found on Instagram, on YouTube. You'll see her in the She's on the Money Facebook group. You'll hear her on She's on the Money on Friday Drinks. And everywhere. she's, She's everywhere. And she's been a great friend to our community in our world. And anytime we've been to Melbourne and anytime I've been to Melbourne, she's been of a great assistance to us and my team really love you and look up to you just so so nice i love your team thank you so much thank you for having me i had so much fun all right and bye bye we acknowledge the dark and young people traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present we extend that respect to aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples who may listen to our podcast My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.